I'm just going to open in prayer. Father, thank you so much that you're here. We wouldn't want to be here without you. Thank you that you've helped the worship team to lead us in worship, and you've helped us to respond to you in worship. I pray that you'd also help us to respond to your word with faith in our hearts, to obey your word and embrace your word, and to be changed by your word. Father, thank you that you've spoken to us. You've given us your word. And I pray, Lord, you'd help, us to help it to do its work in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As Peter said last week, we want to follow up our series. We did a series on what on earth am I here for? We're going to follow it up with a series for a few weeks called What on Earth Are We Here For? The we being Gateway Church. And last week, Peter shared about we as a church community being a family on mission together. And that mission being to bring people from death to life by exalting Jesus so that people would be saved from the eternal consequences of sin. We accomplish this task by asking God for a heart of love, love for God and love for people around us, and for a heart of humility, a humility that's willing to set aside our will so that we can embrace whatever God reveals to us as being his will for our lives. And I, I want to follow Peter's message on being a family on mission together with um, a reminder of a key phrase in the, the Gateway's vision statement above me on the wall. Gateway's full vision statement is Gateway Church exists to spread a passion for the glory of God through Jesus Christ to every nation and every generation. That's our vision statement. And the phrase I want to remind us of as we look at what on earth are we as a church community here for is the phrase to every nation. Because we as a people are called to the nations. At Gateway, we believe that God's word tells us that a major reason we are on this earth is to help reach every nation for Jesus Christ. That is a major biblical emphasis that we can't afford to ignore. John Piper writes, all of history is moving toward one great goal, the white hot worship of God and his son among all the peoples of the earth. Missions is not that goal, it is the means. And for that reason, it is the second greatest human, human activity in the world. Worship being the most important. Now, some of you may already know that I love maps. I do, I love maps. This one is from my home office. I brought it here to show you. Is it nice, yeah? Thank you. How many of you love maps? Raise your hand, oh yeah. That's what I like to see, look at all those hands. Good, well I also love flags. I even have a flag tie. I'm not gonna tell you how much I paid for my flag tie. <laughs> how many of you love flags? Yeah, we love flags. Look around us, the color, the creativity of the, the cultures. How many of you noticed that we have a new flag on the walls of our gym? How many of you have noticed that? There, there's a few people. Let's, let's give away a few prizes here for, for those of you who, who, 
There you go, Ron. Ron gets a prize. Yeah, that's it. Oh, oh, someone else noticed? There we go. You know what? I can't give everybody a, uh, an earth ball. But, you know, we're going to give more away later. The, the, the um, Kazakhstan flag is the new one that we have up here. How many know that we have two people in our midst who are from Kazakhstan? Three? We have three. Oh, yes, we have three. Stand up if you're from Kazakhstan. We have Yuri and Dina. What's your name? Sorry, what's your name? Alex. Alex, welcome here to Winnipeg, all the way from Kazakhstan. And Yuri, who works on our, our audio, our, our, our visuals behind me, is from Kazakhstan, and his wife, Dina. We're so thrilled that God calls people from faraway places to be right here at Gateway in Winnipeg. It's thrilling. And God is the one who works that out. Now, another thing I love is Google Earth. How many have played with Google Earth? Oh, yeah. You can, you can tour Istanbul on Google Earth, you know? I've done that. I've thought, whoa, what are these streets? And how do you find your way around this city? Well, you can also find the tiny little village I lived in, in for a year in Sudan. Let's go there. Let's go to Sudan. Let's zoom in a little bit, Yuri. And there we go. Let's zoom in again. Okay, we're zooming. You can see Sudan there coming closer. Let's zoom in again. There, that's Sudan, the country in the middle there. Let's go a little closer. Okay, now you see some circles. There's Khartoum. And that little dot that I've circled in red, that's a mountain. That's our landmark. That's our landmark that's going to help us find the village. Let's close in a little fat there. The landmark, the mountain is getting bigger. That, that landmark will help us find the village. Let's get closer. Okay, there's the mountain, and now to the left of it, you see the second, the smaller circle, that's the village. Let's go a little closer. Okay, the village is getting closer. Let's go a little closer. Okay, see those three little dots in the middle of the circle? Those are three pictures that I submitted to Google Earth, eh? So, let's go a little closer. There it is, now it's getting closer. Uh, how about again, there, there. Now the top circle up there, that's the hospital. That's a hospital that was built like in the 1950s. That white line, that's the wadi. That's where it went during the rainy season, if the rains come, that'll fill up with water. And it's kind of dark there because sediment kind of settles there. It flows north toward the north. Let's keep going a little closer. Now we're zooming in. Now you can start seeing, they have walled compounds. Most people have walls around their, their house and their compound. Let's go a little closer. Okay, now right in the middle, you see the main part of the village. Let's go a little closer. Oh, how about closer again? There we go. The upper right there, that's the mosque. The circle in the middle, that's the marketplace they call the souk. And then down to the left, where all those, those cluster of trees there with the building in the middle, that's the police station. We got called there to get kicked out at one point. <laughs> and uh, it was a good time. That's where I lived for a year. When I was single, without a wife. I don't know if Fiona would have loved it quite as much. I'm not sure I loved it as much as I remember it. But it was beautiful. It was a good time. Okay, thanks, Yuri. That's beautiful. Do you know, all the peoples, and there were more than one people group in that village, that tiny little village actually had two unreached people groups in it. All the peoples in that village and on this map, 
that you see here and that are represented by these flags are precious to God. They're precious to him. He doesn't just kind of take notice of them. He loves them. So let's turn to a few places in the Bible where we see this emphasis of the nations being on the heart of God in God's word. One of the earliest places we can look is Genesis chapter 12. And let's just turn there to Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis 12, verse 3, we see one of the earliest references to the word nations. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And then you see in Genesis 18.18, God clarifies what he means by families when he says in 18.18, all the nations of the earth will be blessed in you. And he's speaking to Abraham. In Genesis 22.18, God says again, in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Again and again and again, he keeps blessing the nations, speaking of how they'll be blessed through Abraham. Now, some may ask, how did God do that? How did God bless all the nations through this one man? God did it in two ways. The Apostle Paul describes those who follow Abraham's example of living by faith in God and of believing God's promises as being people of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, a father of many nations I have made you. That's in Romans 4. If you believe God today, if you believe that God sent his son Jesus to die for you, to pay the penalty for all the wrong things that you would ever do so that you could be forgiven and so that you could turn from all those wrong ways and live a new life for God that's a life from God, if you believe all that, you are of the faith of Abraham because he's the father of those who have that kind of faith. He's our spiritual father. We are spiritual descendants of Abraham. And secondly, the second way that, we, that, that God blesses all the nations through Abraham is that Abraham, or Jesus, was a physical descendant of Abraham. Jesus, the one who paid the penalty as a substitute for us all, paid the penalty for our sins, was a physical descendant of Abraham. Jesus is the offspring of Abraham through whom all the nations are blessed and receive salvation. And as we consider how God blessed all the nations through Abraham, I find it very interesting how the story of Abraham in the book of Genesis follows immediately after, right after the story of the Tower of Babel. I don't know if you've ever thought of that. The story of the Tower of Babel is a place where God confused all the people's languages in order to separate them. Because in an expression of defiant self-sufficiency, the people were choosing not to spread out and fill the earth according to God's mandate, but instead they were building a monument to themselves. It's worth highlighting that three biblical themes intersect between that story and the story of Abraham. Babel is the root word of the name Babylon, which in the Bible symbolizes humanity's 
desire to rule our own lives, to rule this world in the place of God. In other words, sin, prideful sin. But when God judged the people of Babel by confusing their languages and giving them many languages in Genesis chapter 11, that judgment resulted in the creation of nations. That's how the nations ended up being created. In, in Genesis 10, there's a whole bunch of nations listed as Noah's descendants, but that's not chronological according to Genesis 10 and 11. Oh, Genesis 11, that story of Babel, happened before those nations came about. The nations were a result of God confusing languages because of judgment. And then, immediately afterwards, immediately after that judgment, God shows mercy. Right after confusing their languages, right after judging them for their, their, their defiance, God says, I'm going to bless all the nations through Abraham. He's not satisfied just sitting in judgment. He wants to show mercy. It was like God was saying, yes, I've scattered you because of your sins, but I will one day draw you together again in heavenly unity as every people group on earth hears the gospel and turns to my son, your savior. I'm going to save you. Those three themes appear again and again and again throughout the Bible. Sin, judgment, mercy. Sin, judgment, mercy. Mercy for those who have been judged. Mercy for sinners like us. God couldn't wait one chapter after the story of the Tower of Babel before he extended mercy and said, through your offspring, I will bless all the nations. The very existence of nations was the result of judgment for sin, and yet God longs to show us mercy. That's still true today. That's as true today as it was then. I don't know what you're living under. I don't know what kind of cloud is over your head regarding something you regret doing, something that you're sorry for, something you've, you can't take back. But God says, I will show mercy. You come to me in repentance and I'll forgive you because of what my son did on the cross. That's why the poets of the Bible wrote verses like, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. It's why the prophets of the Bible foretold things like from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. So what is God doing today to make his name great among the nations? What What's he doing to accomplish that? Well, there's a new book available, relatively new, called Pray for the World. That's pretty understandable what this book is all about. It's, it's basically an abridged version of Operation World. How many have heard of Operation World? 
Operation World is a book that contains sort of a description of every nation in the world and, you know, how it's going, the status of that nation in many ways, and then praise reports and then prayer requests, lots of statistics. This eliminates everything except the prayer requests. It's about a third of the length of an Operation World book. It's just prayer requests for the world. And I want to give a copy of this away this morning. But first, I want to give away a few more earth balls. Okay? Yeah, who, who wants an earth ball? Who, who, who wants an earth ball? Come on. Come on. I know everybody wants an earth ball. That's good. Okay, the four of you who just caught those earth balls, come on up. You are the next contestants on the Prayer is Right. Come on, the next contestants on the Prayer is Right. That's it. Let's welcome our contestants. Come on. Nice catch, John. Yeah. Okay, you know you can get these at Dollarama, they're very cool, aren't they? All right, the winner of today's show is gonna receive this free book, Pray for the World. First, face me, you'll need to face me. First thing, take the pen and write your name, print your name very clearly on your, no, no, not on the inside, Ben, or, yeah, yeah, right there, yeah. There we go. Okay, turn it toward me. This is just to pretend I didn't know your names. That's what you do on a game show. They write down their names. All right. I'm going to ask you five multiple choice questions with four choices per question. Listen carefully. For each question, if you want to guess the answer, you must squeeze the horn. Give it a try. All right. Okay. But you must wait for all four choices to be read before squeezing the horn. The first, so wait for me to read all four. The first, even if you read faster than me. <laughs> the first to squeeze the horn gets the first guess. There's no penalty for wrong answers. And if the first guess is wrong, the next person to squeeze the horn again gets to answer Next, I would ask that the studio audience not, not, hold on, not shout out any hints or answers while I am reading the four choices. However, once the four choices have been read, the studio audience may then participate by shouting suggestions. Whoever answers the most questions wins this beautiful book, Pray for the World. I'll ask my lovely assistant, Peter Todd, <laughs> to come on up and help us to determine who squeezes their horn first. All right. Question number one. You don't have to write the answer down, Kelly. You're just going to say it out loud. Yeah. Question number one. In which country is the annual growth of evangelical Christians increasing much faster than in any other country of the world? Oh, I didn't read the four questions. Did you not listen to anything I said? 
I will read all four answers before anyone can squeeze their horn. A, South Korea, B, Iran, C, India, D, China. Ben. No. Oh, uh, sorry, Ben guessed India. That was not right. D, China. No. Iran, John gets it. Okay, one for John. Question two. Which country sent, and get, do a little better this time, okay? <laughs> Question number two. Which country sends out beyond its borders more missionaries per million Christians in their population than any other country? A, Nigeria. B, Canada. C, Ireland. D, Belarus. <laughs> Ben again. Ireland. That is correct. Yeah. How did you know that? <laughs> okay. Question number three. Which country receives the most missionaries per million people in their population? This is a receiving missionaries from beyond its borders. A, Jamaica. B, Tonga. C, Mexico. D, Samoa. He guesses Mexico. Wrong. Anyone else? John. Samoa is correct. Question number four. In which country are far more Bibles, I'm talking far more Bibles distributed by the world's Bible societies than any other country. A, Brazil, B, Indonesia, C, China, D, Saudi Arabia. Oh, I didn't finish. D, Saudi Arabia. I think you were first, Kelly. Indonesia. No, you guessed Indonesia. The answer is not Indonesia. Ben. India. You said India first. No, India is, India is wrong. China. China is wrong. Brazil is the correct answer. Who would have known that? Question number five. So we have two, one, and one. And I do have a tiebreaker question if necessary. And what country is the largest ethnic group that is still unreached with the gospel? In other words, the largest unreached people group. Is it in, in A, India, B, Somalia, C, Japan, D, Bangladesh? Ben. Somalia is the guest that is incorrect. John. Japan is the guest that is incorrect. Simeon. D, Bangladesh is correct. Okay. So we have a tie between John and Simeon. So only John and Simeon will play this round to win Pray for the World. Tiebreaker question. Which country has the lowest percentage of evangelical Christians? The lowest percentage, not the lowest number, but the lowest percentage of evangelical Christians. A, Somalia. B, Yemen. C, Turkey. D, Algeria. 
Did you squeeze your horn? Because I didn't hear it. There we go. Do a better job with the horn. Yeah, that's good. B. Yemen is the guess that is incorrect. John. Somalia is incorrect. Turkey is correct. Let's congratulate our contestants. Thanks for playing. Hey, you got an earth ball out of it, John. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so we've been looking at New Old Testament books at how God expressed his heart of love for the people of all nations, but it's all over the New Testament too. In fact, right after that book of Malachi in which God promises to make his name great among the nations, you just have to turn one page and suddenly you're introduced to Jesus, the one who will save us from our sins. And he is the one who God is making great among the nations. And at the end of Jesus' life on this earth, when we get to the end of those gospel stories, when Jesus is commissioned, he's commissioned his disciples to go and make disciples. Jesus instructed them to make disciples of all nations. He also said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth the whole world. And then in the Bible's final book, written long after that story of the Tower of Babel in which the languages were confused, in which the nations were created, God says, or John says, from the vision he had from the Lord, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Long after God had scattered the nations at the beginning of the Bible, God ends his word, his story to us by gathering all those nations before him to worship his son Jesus. And you can bet Abraham was there among them. Worshiping his Savior. The themes of the nations and of God being glorified among the nations are seen from the very beginning to the very end of the Bible. So when is that going to come to pass? When is that great scene going to happen? Well, the Bible tells us. Yeah, the Bible tells us. Sort of. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. 2414. It's on the whiteboard behind me, if you see that. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. That is an amazing verse. It tells us something specific and measurable that must come to pass before Jesus returns. It's something measurable that's being measured by missiologists every day, every year. They're keeping updates. How close are we to every people group hearing? This, this verse is full of wonderfully rich words like gospel and kingdom, proclaim, 
testimony, world, nations. These are all words, rich words, packed with significance. And the word end, that little word end, is a huge word. As this passage tells us how the conclusion of God's great story will come about. And how we have a part to play in proclaiming the gospel to every nation. But let's take a little bit of a closer look at that word nation. Closer, it's the Greek word ethnos. From where we get the word ethnic and ethnicity. It's not a political nation. Like you see on this map, you see all kinds of political nations with boundaries, borders. Those are political nations. The Bible's not talking about those. It's talking about people groups, ethnic groups, cultural groups, ethnicities. So, we sometimes call these people groups, um, those who study these things, there we go, um, say there's 195 political nations, and amongst those 195 political nations, there are 16,587 people groups. 16,587. And of those 16,587, 9,849 of them are considered reached with the gospel. It's 59%. That leaves a mere 6,738 people groups to complete the task of this gospel being proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. That might sound like a lot, but it's actually very achievable in our lifetime. Really, 6,700 people groups. I'll tell you why. Think of it this way. In 100 AD, historians estimate that one out of 360 people was an active Christian. One out of every 360 was an active Christian. If you had 361 people or 360 people in a room, one of them would be saved. Today, about one out of every 7.3 people is considered an active believer. If you have 7.3 people in a room, wait a minute, that's not possible. Well, you know what I mean. There's one of them is a Christian. In 100 AD, historians estimate that there were 12 unreached people groups for every Christian congregation. Today, there are 1,000 known Christian congregations for every unreached people group. Instead of there being 12 unreached people groups per congregation, there's now 1,000 congregations per people group still unreached with the gospel. That makes the completion of this task very achievable. But the only way it can be done is if some of those 7.3 people leave their culture and go to all the nations to an unreached culture. And that's not an easy thing to do. But with 1,000 congregations per people group, we should be able to get the job done if we just work together. And getting that job done is one of the things Jesus' return depends on. So let's look at another couple words in that verse. The gospel of the kingdom. This essentially means the good news of God's rule, which we would rightly understand to mean the great encouragement of God invading this dark world to offer the light of his love. The kingdom of God is not a place or a position. The kingdom of God is more of a status 
or a condition. God's kingdom is wherever a human heart is surrendered to him. Whenever a human heart surrenders to God, his kingdom comes into that heart. That good news we have is the, what we have the privilege of proclaiming. And that good news brings light to this world. That good news literally lights up the world. And we're called to be lights in this world among unreached people groups. Now, it's important to make a simple distinction regarding this gospel of the kingdom. We're simply called to proclaim it. We're simply called to proclaim the good news, not to save the people who hear it. The emphasis on being a sharer of the gospel takes the pressure off of us to produce results. All God's asking us to do, all we have to do is testify. That's all we have to do is share what God has shown us. And I think that's easy. That's something we can all do. The classical Greek use of this Greek word kariso, which means to proclaim or to announce or to preach, was often used in the context of someone being commissioned by a ruler. This is the classical Greek use. Commissioned by a ruler to make news known in a clear voice. That doesn't have to be from a pulpit. That can be at a coffee table. That can be in a living room. Making the gospel known in a clear voice. That's all we're called to do. In the New Testament, the primary news that was associated with this word, of course, was the gospel and the kingdom. And in Matthew 20, 14, 24, 14, both. When Matthew in particular uses this word, this word cariso, he is said to be the only New Testament writer to emphasize the official character of the word. In other words, we have been sent out on official business by the king of kings, fully authorized to share this good news with the world. We are fully authorized. Who knows what the first word of the Great Commission is in, in Matthew, in Matthew 28? Don't look it up. What's the first word of the, God, the Great Commission? No, it's not go. But that's the answer most people give. It's the answer I would have given in your shoes if, if I hadn't sort of been looking, looking more carefully. If you look, turn to Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 28. The Great Commission in Matthew starts in verse 18. The word go is in verse 19. It starts with all authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. We go because we have authority to go, because we've been given authority to go, because we've been authorized as proclaimers. So the next time you're in a conversation about the gospel, remember this. I've been authorized to share this. I've been given authority. This gives the words I'm sharing power to change lives, because they're not just my words. They're God's words. God has authorized me to share this. Wow. Hmm. Now what this basically means is every one of us is on a missions team. Every one of us is responsible 
to be a missionary. C.H. Spurgeon actually said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Spurgeon didn't mince words. But we are all missionaries. And we can do this right here in our own city. The world is coming to us. The world is coming in many, many cultures to to Winnipeg and to Gateway. I grew up in the United States in the 60s and 70s during the Cold War. Living in Michigan, Cold War was fierce in those days. And as young preteen kids, we used to play games in the neighborhood in which we sometimes shouted a certain phrase. We used to shout, the Russians are coming, the Russians are coming, when we played certain games. Well, the Russians have come to Winnipeg, and they are a great blessing among us. Amen? I'm so glad you guys have come. I was in Dollarama the other day, buying these super cool earth balls, and two people beside me were speaking a foreign language, and so I turned to them. I said, what language are you guys speaking? They were a little startled. They said, Russian. I said, we translate Russian in our Sunday morning service at church. You should come. They're not here. (laughs) But they were invited. It's not difficult to meet people from other nations in Winnipeg, and they're often open to conversation. And that's one way to make Jesus' name great among the nations. But most people from unreached people groups never leave where they live and come to faraway places. And so we have to go to them. And that's where the real teamwork comes in. Not everyone is meant to go to other nations. But if you are called to go to another nation, preparation is vital. You must prepare because it's a big deal. And if everyone did decide to do that, to prepare and to go, well, then there'd be no one left to pray for you or to financially support you. So some are meant to go and others are meant to remain and provide prayer and show care and financially share. How do you like that? Prepare, prayer, care, and share. Oh, I like that. I don't know about you. (laughs) Now, Gateway already has unreached people working among unreached people groups. Did you know that? We already do. Let me me tell you, without naming names, because this is a sermon that will end up on on the website, on the internet, I'm just going to sort of vaguely refer to it. We have a family in our midst today who are preparing to soon leave for Southeast Asia to work in a country in which there are presently well over 200 unreached people groups. They could use prayer and finances and lots of care that would really boost their morale. We have another global worker in South Asia who is totally surrounded by unreached people groups who would surely love prayer and care, expressions of care. We have another family based in Ontario as they carry on an internet-based outreach to ministry to Muslims that reaches tens of thousands of people a month from all over the world, most of them likely from unreached people groups. Another young lady is likely touching unreached people groups through her work among sexually exploited children in Thailand. Thailand has 82 unreached people groups. And Gateway has other global workers who would all appreciate prayer, care, and what we can share. There's a couple in West Africa training African workers to reach other Africans for Christ. The Neufelds and Stories are in Romania, Hagenlockers in Rwanda, the Taylors and Amy Alexander in Mexico. All these global workers would surely love to have a home church that modeled prayer, 
care and share. And that's something we can all be a part of, whatever you're gifting. Now, we call these people global workers because to call them missionaries, which is the typical word, makes them sound a bit too much like specialists that are doing something that we non-missionaries aren't doing. The fact is a missionary, which is not a word from the Bible, you won't find it in the Bible, is simply someone who's been sent out to share Jesus with people. And we can all do that, which makes us all missionaries. The word Jesus used was laborers in Matthew 9. He told us to pray for laborers in his harvest field, otherwise known as workers. So we have global workers working all over the globe, and we have home workers who reach out to people in our city, but who also prayer, care, and share for those who've gone overseas. And as home workers, we can actually play a part without even leaving Winnipeg and hastening the day that Jesus returns. So I invite you this morning to ask the Lord, is God calling you to go or to prayer, care, and share as a way of participating in this great theme of Jesus being proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Jesus' return depends on our completing this very task. And depending on how you've been gifted will, de will determine how you can participate in this task. If God is moving you to prayer, care, or share for any of our global workers, I invite you to sign up on one of these sign-up sheets that I'm going to leave on these tables at the front. There'll be pens here. You can come and sign up, leave contact info, and then just leave an email, and we can contact you and let you know how you can participate in prayer, care, or share for any of the workers that you sign up for. But if, you, if God is putting it on your heart to go, then I'd encourage you to speak to one of our pastors. Because preparation is vital. And we'd love to speak to you about that if that's what God is putting on your heart. And as a united church community, we can work together to proclaim this gospel of the kingdom throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations so that we can make Jesus' name great here in Winnipeg and throughout the world.